Hi everybody, welcome to the NMC Watch podcast. Thanks for listening. All of our guests have had a variety of experiences when they've been referred to their regulator, such as the Nursing and Midwifery Council. They've gone through a fitness to practice investigation and often a local employment investigation as well. Some of those experiences have been very positive, but some not so positive. And we hope to give them a safe space in which to discuss those further. Some of our guests will express opinions that we don't agree with. That's fine. They're welcome to share those opinions and hopefully it will create some debate. But although we may not share their opinions, we offer them a safe space in which to discuss how it felt to be referred, how they got through it and how life is now they've got through the other side. Hi, Paul. Thanks for joining us. So uh, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. So we're joined today with Paul Turner, who is a mental health nurse. Paul qualified in 1987 and went on to specialise with the treatment of people with alcohol problems. He left the NHS in 2003, but then did a return to practice course in 2014 in order to get back to treating people for alcohol use disorder privately. In large parts of the UK, people find it very difficult to find suitable and effective help for this disorder, and over 8,000 people a year die from it. There's few resources that are made available, leaving a gap which Paul aims to fill. In 2016, an NHS nurse discovered that Paul and a colleague, who was a nurse prescriber, had been treating a patient with an alcohol home detox programme, and this nurse decided that they shouldn't have been doing that. So she referred them both to the NMC, stating that they were both working outside of their remit. She made no effort to contact either of them, um, and Paul to this day has never had a conversation with her. The referral was full of evidence of her own shortcomings, really, in regards to her knowledge of the situation and that area of practice. She even admitted to the NMC that she'd never conducted an alcohol detox, despite being employed as an alcohol specialist nurse. The NMC regarded the allegations as both serious, for both of them as serious, and they had to both attend interim order hearings. But towards the end, at the end of that, they got no interim order placed. A year later, very little had been done in terms of investigation, and the hearing went ahead and they were both concluded with no case to answer verdict. Along the way, there were some very strange events, which I'm sure Paul will explain to us later. He was himself actually asked to be the uh, to find a uh, alcohol expert um, who could advise the NMC regarding this case because they had no um, persons within in their organisation that could do that. So what an experience, Paul. So there's so many common themes again um, with some of our members. Uh, what happened after the referral to yourself and your colleague? Well, I was just I was just sitting there one day and my phone rang and it was this London number um, and I picked it up thinking it may be somebody who wanted some help with an alcohol problem. Um, and um, it turned out to be a, a representative of the NMC, um, a case officer, telling me that there'd been very serious allegations made against me, um, which at first you think, well, what could that possibly be? Um, as it as it turned out, it was about a, a patient in in Manchester who had been um, he, he'd be started an, an alcohol home detox that day. He'd been treated before by my colleague, but not by me. 
Um, and my colleague, he was a prescribing nurse and he'd written the prescription and I'd gone and visited the patient. Um, the patient was very anxious. Anyway, this anxiety grew through the afternoon and um, he spoke to my colleague and um, we, 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 we sort of, you know, we, we were sort of basically dealing with this chap's excessive anxiety until a point where he, for whatever reason, went into the kitchen, picked a knife out of the drawer and cut his arm. Oh, gosh. Now, um... He didn't cut any artery or anything like that, but he did do tendon damage. So he had to be treated. Um, he had to have surgery on the arm for the, for the tendon damage that he caused. And when he got to the hospital, um, this alcohol specialist nurse had been asked to come and see him because obviously he was having alcohol withdrawal symptoms because the medication had stopped as soon as he went to the hospital. Nobody from the NHS contacted us. Nobody said what's happening with him, where, what's the medication he's been having, what, how severe have his withdrawal symptoms been. There was no communication from, from the NHS, um, which is pretty typical, really. That, that tends to happen. Um, <clears throat> and, um, but, but, but this um, alcohol specialist nurse asked him, you know, who was doing this detox with you? And rather than contact us and ask us, you know, what was happening, what were you doing? She went straight to the NMC and reported us. She got completely inaccurate information. She reckoned I was running two businesses and my colleague was running another two businesses. And it just completely, almost like she just decided to make up a story. Um, and um, so, so I get this phone call basically saying that, you know, it's considered that you know whatever we'd done was was responsible for for this for this poor chap getting in such a state that he ended up cutting his arm. Um, now he'd previously been treated successfully um, with an alcohol home detox three years before and done almost three years without drinking since, um, and that there had been no such complications then. Um, he was he was he had a supervisor which was his partner. She was looking after everything, um, you know, in terms of holding the medication and calling us to keep us updated with what was happening. She had to call us with a blood pressure and pulse before each dose of medication. So there was no point at which she was unsupported. Um, the, the person making the accusation, the NHS nurse who reported us, uh, said that um, she'd been left unsupported in a situation where she was expected with no clinical experience to assess alcohol withdrawal symptoms, which is completely untrue. All she needed to do was tell us what's happening. You know, is he okay? Is he shaking? Is he being sick? Is he, is he, is he very agitated? Is his behaviour okay? Um, and she had 24-7 access to us for that. Um, so so, so we, we were accused of, of that. Um, and then over the, the sort of coming days after, after the initial phone call, um, we started to see more of the information. More information was sent by email from her to the NMC case officer about what she thought that we'd done wrong. And what was quite bizarre was that the evidence that she used that we'd done something wrong was actually what I was using to put our case that we hadn't done anything wrong. It was the same nice document. And now this nice document was about alcohol treatment. Now it included alcohol detox, but it wasn't only about alcohol detox. So it said things like um, that a person may be offered um, 10 sessions of cognitive behaviour therapy. 
So she read that to mean that that should be offered before a detox is offered. Well, good luck with that on a bottle of vodka a day. Um, so she was, she, was, she was coming up with all these conclusions about what we should have been doing. She was also using the policy as her own organisation. And their policy was, if somebody needed an alcohol detox, to basically keep them waiting. Um, probably related to resources, probably because they didn't have the resources. But over, you know, they, they would be kept waiting for weeks or even months, keeping a drink diary not getting any help at all, um, you know, or not getting any, any relevant help. Um, and, and, and so she was, um, she was thinking that that must be the clinical way of doing things. And while I was putting together our case, and I, I, stayed, I stayed quite calm, I was quite arrogant about it. I was quite, we haven't done anything wrong. There's no way we've done anything wrong here. Whereas my colleague was really falling apart. Um, really big. I mean, he prescribed the medication, and and he he had a he'd had an RCN lawyer tell him that the worst case scenario was that he could go to prison. I mean, I mean you know, this is how things were, were were happening. So he had a much worse experience, and I was, I was, I was too arrogant. I mean, I I believed that the NMC was like what I saw the old UKCC as. You know, they get involved if you were nicking drugs off the trolley, or you were, you know, you hit a patient, or you had sex with a patient. But you know, if you just made a mistake, then the you know, the, the, I didn't think the NMC would be interested in that. Um, but um, of course, I found a lot more about the NMC um, through mainly through my, my work with um, my, my stuff with M NMC Watch. Um, so 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 basically, um, you know, we, we were in this situation where we were being accused of all, all these ridiculous things that, that that just made absolutely no sense. Another thing that was said was that the um, the patient had a, a child, a, a, a three year old child, and. Um, that, that we had put the child at risk by giving by giving him medication, benzodiazepines, which are to calm a person down and stop withdrawal symptoms, that by giving those medications, that was increasing the risk of him being um, aggressive or, or dangerous towards the child, which, of course, you know, on her watch, he was... Um, he, he was drinking, <laughs> so and we all know what alcohol does in terms of aggression. So it, 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 there were completely ridiculous um, allegations, and it became apparent from the emails that I saw, saw um, the emails between the the NMC case officer and the, the 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 person making the referral became very very friendly. Um, the, the, the referrer had, had recently become pregnant and was going on to, on to maternity leave. And they ended up in the emails about me, myself and about my, my colleague, yeah, chatting, oh, good luck, I hope everything goes well with your pregnancy and I hope, you know, I hope the delivery's not too bad. And, and I'm thinking this is, this is totally inappropriate to have these conversations in emails which are going as evidence, you know, to, to possibly to, you know, to have me struck off. Um, so, so it was, it was a really, really bizarre situation. And the, the NMC told me that I'd got to respond by a particular date. Um, and, um, so I made sure that, you know, everything was sorted. And, and like I say, my, my colleague had fallen apart. He really, he really wasn't able to do very much. So I was looking after all of our answers and, you know, sort of, um, uh, dealing with all that sort of thing. Um, and, and over, you know, the, the, the next, um, 
the, the next few days, I, I just I just became more and more irritated by the sort of things that were being said because I thought this just doesn't make any sense and she doesn't know what she's talking about. And then it became clear that she'd never actually done an alcohol detox. Right. So I'm thinking, why is she qualified to even comment? Why is she even an alcohol specialist nurse? Um, anyway, so the um, you know the, the, the NMC gave us this date uh, by which we had to respond and I did the written response um, and um, two days before the written response was due to be in the NMC decided there was going to be an interim order hearing after having told us you've got until this date to respond and then we'll make a decision about whether you need an interim order hearing or not they made the decision two days before the dates that I've been asked to get the report in um, it's actually I had actually got the report in that day but they'd obviously ignored it. They weren't interested in this. They just wanted their hearing. Um, so, um, so that, that's, sorry, that was sorry to interrupt. Were the NMC aware that your colleague was struggling? Were they aware of that? Um, no, not really. I mean, the the RCM were the the RCM knew he was having difficulty. He he ended up seeing. Um, uh, a, a doctor. He ended up being given some some benzodiazepines himself, some diazepam. Um, and um, you know, so so he was he was in a real bad state. I mean, he got he got PTSD. He was even months later. He was walking into rooms, and there were certain smells were reminding him. Or maybe it smells that you know something he was cooking on the day that he got the referral or something. I don't know, but certain smells were you know sort of provoking him in, or pu pushing him into this sort of state of panic. <laughs> so um it, it was it, it, it was a, it was a horrible situation because I, I just thought oh it's you know somebody's going to ask us a few questions and we're going to say no this is what happened and then they're going to say oh okay then fine fair enough carry on um, which effectively is what they did do but not before they put us through horrendous trauma along the way okay okay so how uh, twofold really? You said you you were both represented by the RCN. Yes. How did they prepare you for the for the hearing, and how did they? Um, did you have a lot of time with them beforehand to be able to get ready for it? Well, I had a few conversations with um, a solicitor at the RCN who who told me basically that um, you know look this is this is absolute nonsense. I told her my situation. I'd given her all the evidence that I'd collected, and she looked at it and she just said, "I'm just going to ask the NMC to just drop this because it's absolute rubbish." Um, but of course the NMC didn't listen, the NMC wanted the hearing. Um, uh, my colleague, he he had a little bit of a different situation. He had a situation where he couldn't really get hold of his RCN um, solicitor and uh, had real difficulty. Um, and then, uh, you know, finally did speak to somebody who, like I say, said to him that, you know, the worst case scenario was he could go to prison. Gosh. Which was, you know, completely bizarre. Um, but then when we got to the um when we got to the interim order hearings and he's he's based in Wrexham so he's in Wales and and I'm in England, so he had to go to Cardiff and I had to go to London on the same day right. for, for our hearings, um and and what the RCN did which was probably correct the RCN decided to treat us separately, um because they they didn't know whether or not you know I might blame him and he might blame me so they considered it good and it was probably good from a legal point of view that they did things that way 
But he and I were totally together. There was no disagreement between us at all about what had happened or, or that anybody was to blame for it. Um, and so we, um, you know, we went to our separate hearings and, 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 and I got my sort of, um, you know, no interim order um, uh, uh, verdict um, about an hour or two before he did. So I was waiting for him because if, if both of us didn't, you know, I couldn't carry on working without a prescriber, you know, it, yeah. it would make my job very, very difficult. I'd need to find somebody else to work with. And I didn't want to do that to him. Um, so he, um, he ended up, you know, sort of calling me an hour or so later saying he got, also got, um, a, a sort of no interim order verdict. Um, and we were, so we were both, both allowed to carry on working, um, uh, you know, as, as we had done before, which seemed like fantastic at the time, because well, we can just carry on. But it didn't work out like that because when he went to write a prescription, he couldn't he couldn't move his hand on the page. Yeah, he just he just he was so traumatized by the whole thing, he couldn't put his signature on a prescription, which meant the the business was dead. <laughs> you know that was it. I, there was no way I was going to be able to continue because I had nobody to prescribe. So that's quite a shocking reaction, isn't it, to it? But it's probably quite a common reaction in in other forms. You know how other people play play it out. Insofar as I think I think um, generally members of the public and probably the NMC will will think, well, people will be fine because they've not got an interim order. They can just carry on as before. Nothing's to worry about. You know, get on with your life until it comes to hearing. But actually, for some, that's really debilitating. Yeah, I mean, he suffered. I mean, he was quite anxious anyway. He'd be, you know, when we get when we get referrals, I'd say, you know, we'll be all right doing this this, this one. It, it seems so. No, he said, I'm a little bit worried about this one. I'm a little bit worried that maybe they're not quite telling us about how much they drink. Maybe they're not telling us the full story. And I said, but that's all of them. They all do that. Yeah. And he, no, I don't. I don't think I can do this one. So he was more anxious than me in that way anyway. So more predisposed more, so. to having this kind of reaction to the process. Yeah. Yes, yeah. So, so I mean, he. I've never been the sort of person who suffered from anxiety, really, or until this. <laughs> yeah. Did the NMC, um, I'm just thinking from a safeguarding point of view of the NMC, we talk about it quite a lot on the group, don't we, about whether they do or don't safeguard the registrants going through the process. And I know since your case was quite, a, you know, five years ago, since then they've introduced the um, care line, the counselling line. Um, but did they do anything particularly to assess or, or safeguard you to see if they, what the impact was? No, they, they, they never asked how we were. They, they, they never showed any interest or not as, as to whether we were, you know, we were OK, whether we were struggling with it, whether we were traumatised by it. Um, the, the, um, the, the, the person who uh, was the first person to really show any sort of, um, you know, sort of compassion from the NMC was the lawyer, um, the lawyer who advises the panel. The legal assessor. Yes. And, and, and um, the, uh, the, the sort of um, the, the, the barrister who'd been, been sort of allocated to the case. So I'd only met that day for the first. I've been speaking to the solicitor and the barrister was there to, to deal with that. And she told me that she knew him and she said he's very often very supportive to the registrants. She said, so that that's good that we've got him. Yeah. Um, 
And um, when we sort of had the, you know, I've been through the process, which is a horrible process, when you can't say anything and, you know, and you're just sitting there while, you, you, you know, you, your lawyer sort of does the talking and your lawyer isn't as familiar as you with the whole thing. So you feel uncomfortable. You think oh, she's, she's missing something. She hasn't said this. She hasn't said that. Um, but, but, you know, we sort of then went out and, and waited for the, you know, waited for the panel to you know, decide what they were going to do. And when we went back in, the um, the, the the lawyer, the the, the um, legal assessor, whatever he's called, um, nodded to me and smiled. Okay. Came back in, and that immediately made me think that maybe this is going to go okay. And that's when they that's when they they said that there there was no um you know no no interim order. So how long was the process from being referred to getting the um, final outcome? Oh, was it well? Well, no, not no. It was very quick between the first between the referral and the interim order here. Right. It was about five weeks. Oh gosh, okay. It was really quick. Um, went far quicker than I expected. Um, then once we'd got the sort of interim order or the non no interim order verdict, um, then we got um the uh, well, what what was supposed to be the investigation. So that they wanted all sorts of information, they said. And then the time just went on and on and on and on and nothing happened. I didn't hear anything from them. There was, there, there was just nothing. And, and I'm thinking, what's going on here? And I spoke to the solicitor at the, um, at the RCN a couple of times and, and she said, no, I haven't heard anything. And then I, I suddenly got a letter one day um, saying that they were looking for an expert in um, who, who, who was a, you know had expertise in the treatment of people with alcohol problems because they needed that person to tell them whether or not you know what we'd done had been um, you know had been reckless or dangerous or inappropriate or whatever um, so so that, that, that's what that, that, so, so I thought right okay well what that's well, we're obviously waiting for that. Um, and then a, a few more weeks went by and then suddenly, and this is like, you know, seven, eight months since yeah. the interim order hearing. And suddenly I get a letter saying, do you know anybody? Gosh. <laughs> so, yeah, my best, my best mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anybody, you know, can you tell us anybody? Gosh. So, well, no, no, not really. Unless, in the meantime, because because my colleague had fallen apart and, and wasn't able to work, I'd had to find somebody else to work with. And I found a, a private GP um, who, who was, was already doing some stuff related to alcohol. And I approached him and we had a chat and got on very well and still got on like a house on fire now. Um, and, and, and he... he replaced my colleague so he became the prescriber because I couldn't prescribe at that point in time so um so I'd probably been working him by with him you know eight or nine months by this point and um and I, I just said to him I said will you will you write something he said yeah okay so this is the bloke I work with you know the bloke is also my friend and he's you know and and, and the NMC accepted that they accepted his, he, what he said about my practice and that I keep good records and I'm meticulous in, you know, in, in dealing with things safely and that sort of thing. And he said that and they just said, well, okay. 
<laughs> That's okay then. Um, and then um, it, I think it's it ran. It was almost exactly a year from the interim order hearing to the to the final verdict. And they they sort of that they suddenly sent sent me a letter saying that um, the patient who they'd finally decided to ask, you know, yeah. his experience. I mean, this is a year later. Up until this point, they haven't even, even before the interim order hearing, they never even spoke to the patient and said, what's your thoughts? Go on. So they, they contacted the patient um, and the patient says, I'm not interested in talking to you about it. He says, I don't care. He, he, this, is, this is the patient's words. He says, he says, I don't care if the tomb of the dead or they've won the lottery. He says, it makes no difference to my life at all. I'm okay. not interested in talking to you about it. Okay. And so they said, well, that's it. we haven't got a witness there. Mm. So then they came back with, you know, no case to answer. Okay. They just didn't have anything on us because there hadn't been anything. I mean, the, you know, the original referrer had not been able to give anything that we couldn't answer. Mm. And he had nothing to say about it. So, you know, so that, that was it. It was just... You and know, that was a year after after the referral? That was a year after the intimate order hearing. So it's probably about a year and six months in total. So pretty, pretty quick. Pretty quick, yeah, in comparison to a lot of people on our group. That's quite a quick process, isn't it, really? Yeah. 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 So you've, you've been a keen supporter of NMC Watch since we started, which has been fantastic. It was five years now we've been going. Um, yeah. Have you seen any changes in the fitness to practice process during that time that you've witnessed? Can you see? There seems to be a little. There seems to be a little more. Um, a little more. More of a. a, a, a that, that, well, the NMC tend to think more about the impact on the um, registrants. I think. I think at the time. I mean, I, I'm. I'm quite. <laughs> in some ways I'm, I'm quite glad i didn't know some of the stories before i went because my arrogance and my oh, i haven't done anything wrong sort of thing yeah was i was able to feel like that and i was able to fight it you know with the confidence that i wouldn't have had had i known for example what happened to you and, and you know what happened to other people when i think oh, that's, a, that's crazy how could that happen yeah and if i'd have known that things could be that ridiculous I wouldn't have felt so confident, um, and I think that's. I think that was probably the difference. I think my, my colleague had known a couple of people who'd been through the process, and I hadn't. And so I was. No way! I haven't done anything wrong. <laughs> I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna accept this, and and that was how I coped with it. Um, and and I know that it, if it happened again, I wouldn't be able to do that because I know more now than I knew. Then. Right, interesting. Yeah, interesting. Do you do you think that the NMC have a duty of care over the registrant? Do you do you think that they should be safeguarding the registrant? Well, I, I think I think the role of the NMC is about um, you know sort of promoting nursing and and midwifery. I think it's about it's about looking after nurses and midwives. It's about encouraging professional behaviour. I don't think it's just about punishment, but unfortunately, I think the NMC has become just about you know how can we how can we come down on these people and make sure that you know they they know who's in charge. And I, I, I just find it I, I just find it bizarre. I don't think that a professional body should be like that. Of course, if somebody's done something that really is reckless or dangerous or damaging to you know to, to, to the people they're supposed to be looking after of course the nmc has to get involved so it's um so if you could talk if you could talk to the nmc about improving 
um, say a case that you've witnessed on the on a, the NMC watch group, or you know, how what would you ask them to do better? Communicate with the person who's being um, referred. I mean, there, there doesn't yeah. seem to be anything of that. It's just a case of well, these people said that this is what you did, so you know we're going to have you at a hearing. You know, the the um, my solicitor tried to get the NMC to just drop the things. Look at the evidence. Look at the evidence on both sides. This is a complete waste of time. And, you know, you shouldn't be doing this. You should stop this now. And, you know, no, they, they weren't interested in listening to that. They weren't interested in my views. They weren't even interested in waiting for my views before they decided there was going to be an interim order here. Right. They did that two days before the deadline. So do you so, think that sounds to me more like it's about... Um... That we're always told, aren't we, we've got to engage with the process um, and it's better, it'd be better for a registrant if they do engage with the process. But it sounds more that it's what I'm hearing from yourself and people is that it should be also a two way engagement, that it should be the NMC and the registrant, um, you know, engaging as equally as each other in, in that process. Yeah, yeah. I think there has to be proper communication. I mean, I, I have a lot of problems with the way that things are done. I think um, I have a real problem and I don't think it's just um, with the NMC. I think it's in generally in society. When somebody gets accused of something and they go to court and they say, I'm not guilty. Yeah. It's like, well, the person's showing no remorse. Well, why should you show remorse if you haven't done anything? If you haven't done anything wrong, you shouldn't have to show remorse. But it's almost like, well, because you've been referred to the NMC, You've got to show remorse. You've got to show that you're, you know, you're reflecting on what you've done wrong. Um, and there, there seems to be no room for anybody to say, well, actually, I haven't done anything wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and that was my approach. My approach when I, when I was, um, you know, when I was referred was, well, I haven't done anything wrong. And I can back up every single thing I did. And I've got documentary evidence. And, and, and that's how I fought it. And, and and after that, looking at other cases, I thought that was probably not the best way to do it. Even though it worked out okay for me, they could have seen that as arrogance. They could have seen it as no, you know, I wasn't I wasn't bothered about the process or I didn't care about whether or not I did things right. Um, you know, it, but the, the, the one thing I've noticed um, and, 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 I, and I feel like I have to say this is that when when we're in, you know on on the on the, the NMC watch Facebook page and, and and people start describing their story um, about, about what's happened, I find myself really struggling to read some of the stories yeah. because the, the way they're worded, I just think if I was at the NMC, I don't know how much time I'd have to be actually to go to able to go through this and understand the registrant's point of view, and I think that's something that 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 that. I don't know whether it's a, a nurse thing or just a general human thing. Yeah, people when they get in a little bit of a panic, yeah, they they don't really explain things very well. Yeah. And I was really really careful about taking every single point and making sure it was really really clear. And I think I mean that I know that my colleague's barrister, who, who seemed to do a better job than my barrister, um, when 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 he was in in Wales, um, and 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 he said that the 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 thing I'd put together meant there was there was absolutely no doubt that the, the you know it was, it was all it, it was easily answering every single allegation and there was nothing the nmc could get us on yeah and i think that's the thing isn't it it's understanding it's helping people in our group to understand 
who the people are that are going to be reading this information and, and what they need, what they need from you in order to understand it better. Because I think, I, I mean, I was guilty as well. You, it's very easy to um, put reams and reams of information down that actually doesn't say very much. Well, it's very hurtful. It's very hurtful yeah. to be told after years of practicing and you've, you've always considered that you always do the best by the people that you're trying to help. Um, and, and, and then suddenly somebody says that what you've done yeah, wasn't the best and it was it was maybe dangerous or maybe reckless or, you know, and, and, and it's, it's very hurtful and people react with emotion. Yes. And, and, and when you react with emotion, you don't necessarily explain things very clearly. Yeah, and I think that's something that, you know, that, that, that people really need to get right, because I think whether it was whether it was accidental or what, but what I did and the way I did it, taking every single thing that she said and, and, and answering each of those things to show what absolute rubbish it was that she was talking, I think is what what worked for us in, in our case yeah. um, and unfortunately didn't come back and bite me as arrogance. Because, okay. uh, you know, nobody, nobody from the NMC said that I didn't seem remorseful. The, yeah. the word remorseful or, or you know, even reflect. I didn't even have to write a reflection. Right. Not one reflection. I didn't have to write anything because I said, no, I didn't do it. And that was it. So, so it was a very different experience to what I think people have had since. Okay. So it's been nearly five years. So how's life been for you and your colleagues since then? Well, he didn't um, continue working independently. He he went and worked for um. He's still he's still a prescribing nurse. He went and um and worked for a, a, an organisation that treats people with um alcohol and drug problems. Um, but doesn't feel he he keeps on talking about maybe coming back and you know doing some independent work again. But um, I think he he probably as soon as he starts thinking about it, he starts to get anxious and decides that you know now I'll just stay where I am. And he's. He's doing okay. I mean, he's not, you know, he's not, he's not, um, he's not in a terrible state anymore. Um, but, you know, but he does have things happen which remind him of, of you know, how bad things got. Um, from my point of view, um, it, the business actually went from strength to strength. Um, I, I the, the, the person I went to work with, uh, the person, the, the doctor who um, decided he, he, he wanted to work with me, um, he helped me to get through my prescribing course. So I'm now a prescriber, Brilliant. Um, which, which makes things a lot, a lot easier from my point of view. And, um, and uh, but I still continue to work with with that doctor because it's 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 better for my credibility that you know we've got this and I can run ideas by him if there's anything complicated or anything I think oh I, I need to check this with him um, then then I can do that um, so so yeah so that that's gone that's gone really well and and you know the business is I mean it became during COVID a lot of people got in trouble with alcohol. And at that point in time, originally, what I'd been doing was I'd been visiting every patient, every any person that was referred to me, I'd go and see them. It didn't matter where in the country it was, I'd go and see them. Um, when COVID came around, I couldn't justify potentially taking COVID around the country with me. So, um, and GPs were starting to do video consultations and other clinicians were as well. So I think it then became more acceptable. I think previous to COVID, people had said, oh, it's a bit reckless. You know, you haven't even seen them face to face and you're writing a prescription. 
but because of the way the world changed, um, it's meant that I've, I've got my mileage down from about 25,000 miles a year to about 5,000 miles. Yeah, yeah. Um, I still do see people if I think there's a reason why, I, you know, somebody's a little bit medically complicated and, and I think, well, I can't really do this with just a video. I need to see them face to face and examine them. Yeah. then I'll do that yeah um but that's not the case with the majority of people so so it, it's changed the way I do things it's meant that you know whereas before I you know if I got a referral from Glasgow and a referral from Cornwall there was no way that I was going to be able to see do them both on the same day whereas now with a video yeah it's possible I could do do the you know get the two started on a detox on the same big day. difference yeah so I mean addiction's a really complex issue and um you know as we know from members of our group as well healthcare workers are just as susceptible to it as any member of the public um do you feel that NMC needs to deal with this health aspect do you think that they do deal with it appropriately do you think there's anything more they could be doing I don't. I don't think that um, alcohol. I mean, I, I won't get into drugs. I'll talk about alcohol because that's my specialism. Um, I don't think that the NHS or the NMC or the general public or anything um, treat people with alcohol problems fairly, because there's always this idea that this is somebody's fault, and it's not their fault that they've got this disorder. Their body reacts differently to alcohol to what other people's does, and we all, you know, we all throughout our at some point in our lives, have a drink. And the vast majority of us don't get into trouble because we're lucky because we don't suffer from that medical disorder. So when a person does, it's scandalous that these people are treated with shame and blame and, you know, they, they, they sort of, um, you know, that people rec believe that they're, they're not responsible people. You know, I'm treating people who are running massive businesses and, and who, are, who are perfectly okay. They're paying their bills, they're... You know, they're, they're, they're keeping their marriage going, they're bringing up their children, um, but but they're having to have a drink to do it. And, uh, you know, and it, it's, it's a horrendous illness. So, so my view of it is that it's really very, very unfair. And there is a treatment method, a medical treatment method, which, which is extremely effective, 78% success rate that the NHS is completely ignoring. Right. Um, if if the NMC were to be told that somebody turned up to work with alcohol in their body, yeah, the chances are they're going to be either sanctioned, sanctioned in some way and possibly struck off um, when, you know, it's a medical disorder. If somebody turned up for work and their blood sugar was low, nobody's going to sack them for that. Nobody's going to say, right, OK, that's, you've got to be struck off because your blood sugar went low. I guess the difference, though, is that the the consequences could be disastrous, couldn't they, for for patients if somebody turned up to work? Um, yeah, possibly, but also if somebody turns up with low blood sugar, well, yes. with low blood sugar. My, I'm diabetic. I'm on insulin, and you know when I look at something, when I try and read something, yeah, if my blood sugar's low, the words jerk around on the page. Mm. You know, and and it's possible I could read something wrong. I could read a dose wrong. So, so there are, I mean, there are lots of illnesses, depression or, or other mental health issues, drinking, taking drugs. Um, there are lots of things, that, but, you know, it's, it's um, and, and I'm not saying that people should be allowed to turn up to, you know, endless. No, I understand to, what you're saying, yeah. Drunk. But, um, but when, once it's discovered that somebody's got an alcohol problem, then the, it should be said, right, okay, you're off work, you're going to get treatment. Mm-hmm rather than we're going to discipline you yes 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 yeah 
Right. So one of one of our other um, people that we interviewed looked at. Uh, well, we we discussed whether the problem lies with NMC as a regulator per se, or those referring, or whether it's just regulation in full. And as you know, there's a big piece of work going on at the moment to review all of the healthcare regulators and hopefully um, bring them together a little bit more um, and try and make them a bit more consistent between between how they're all working. Have you got any views on this at all or or how you feel regulation perhaps should change or not change? I, I think I think I think there's a problem in society and uh, you know there are people who, you know, whether it's through social media or whether it's through going through official channels and reporting people, I think I think we just have a culture now where where there are quite a few people who, who believe that it's um, okay to, to, to cause problems for other people. And in, in certain cases, I know that with my referrer, I personally believe that she just thought, oh, I'm being a hero here. I'm, I'm reporting these terrible men who are taking advantage of people. And, you know, because we're working privately, it makes it worse. Um, and it's almost like, you know, well, you know, I, I'll make myself look good by reporting. And then, of course, you've got people who are running, you know, businesses like nursing homes and that sort of thing who are thinking, well, you know, that person's complaining about the staffing levels, so we'll get rid of them. Yeah. You know, we'll, we'll, report, we'll, say that, we'll say they gave the wrong drug to a, to, to a resident. And, and, you know, you've got that sort of thing. So my, my, my problem with the NMC is that the, there are no sanctions for anybody who is discovered to have lied. So you can make up, and it's and it's not just with the NMC. It's 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 in it's in life. If I go to the police and say, you know, you punched me in the face, yeah, they'll come and arrest you, yeah, and 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 you know, and that that will sort of you know that that'll sort of go with you, and you've got to prove almost you know that you you, you haven't done it. Um, by having an alibi or whatever, but you know, and, and and people do seem to be able to just make allegations, and then when they discover it's absolute rubbish, she didn't hit him. Yeah, there's no consequences for me. They just say, "Oh no, she's found not guilty." End of. And and I, I think that's appalling. I think if somebody's making up um lies about somebody, I think they should be sanctioned, and uh, particularly when it's a registrant. Yes. Who's reporting another registrant. And it's all in the code of practice about, you know, honesty and, you know, uh, professionalism. And then you've got a nurse who thinks, right, OK, I'm going to cause trouble for that person because I don't like the look of his face. It's tricky, to un <laughs> it's tricky to unpick it, though, isn't it? Because like you say, that nurse that referred you may well have thought that they were doing it for the right reasons. Um, and and I've, I know, check, I know some... yeah, you'd check what was going on. You'd speak to the person you were going to refer, wouldn't you, and say, what were you doing? Yeah, you think that you would. And, um, I mean, and she doesn't know anything about me. She, for all she knows, I might be, the, I might be the, the nicest bloke in the world or I might be the worst bloke in the world. She doesn't have a clue who I am or who, she, who, who my colleague is. And it's about those conversations, isn't it? And how those conversations are managed as well, I think, which is, is, is missing really at the moment, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, think I, you're I, right. have, I, I, what I would have liked would have been to have gone to a hearing and had her standing there saying what I was supposed to have done that was wrong and me being able to answer and saying why I did what I did. Yes. That would have been perfect for yes. me. Because she, honestly, she, there's no way she would have been able to convince anybody that she was right. Mm. Yes. 
Thank you for that. So have you got any advice for a nurse or a midwife that might be struggling with some level of alcohol issue? Um, perhaps doesn't realise particularly that it's affecting their work or perhaps it is affecting their work and they don't know where to go. Have you got any advice? Well, I mean, any a lot of time you hear you see stuff in the media you see the, the tabloid newspapers talking about you know if you drink this amount then you're an alcoholic and all that's a word i hate i hate the word alcoholic i don't use it um but that, that's the word that tends to get used the the um it, it, it's not about how much you drink it's about what happens when you stop yeah if you can't stop drinking because your body demands more and more alcohol then you're in a life-threatening situation because if you if you if you're having to have a drink because you you know you're going to work and you think oh I've got to have a drink now because I've got to get through an eight hour shift and and then I'll have another quick sip at lunchtime and and you're doing that sort of thing then your body is dependent on alcohol and you really really need to do something to to, to get it sorted um, and suddenly stopping can it can be dangerous it can kill so so people need to get medical support medical help and and do something like an alcohol detox. Um, so so it, it shouldn't be ignored. There are other types of drinkers who are just binge drinkers, so they don't drink all week while they're at work, and then all of a sudden they'll they'll start. You know, it comes to the days off, and um, you know they think, oh, that's great, I can have a drink now, and then they'll spend two days getting absolutely hammered, and and then stop drinking again before they go back to work. Um, and again, there are, there are, there are treatments to, to you know to get that under control, um, but. Um, it's not something that you can just say, well, you know, I'll, I'll just ignore it. It doesn't matter. I'll just have a drink and then I'll be all right. So get get help, basically. Yeah. Yeah, speak to somebody about it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. okay. Thanks so much. Really, really great to all talk right. to you. I could talk to you for a long time, but I'm, I'm sure a lot of people listening would uh, get great um, comfort from hearing what you're saying and also the similar themes with their own cases as well. So thank you very much. Yeah, I mean, the most important thing in my view is... When, when a person gets referred, they've got to look at exactly what the referral says and answer exactly what the referral said. There's no point talking about all the other things that people and all the emotions come into it. And it's, you've got to answer the allegations. Yeah. Thank you, Paul. All right. Thanks. so we hope you enjoy listening to us and we'll look forward to hearing your feedback soon bye